Well, I need like 48 hours in the day. I, I, I do. I, we need to find a way to make time last longer because like there's so many stories. Like I have a list of things I've wanted to talk about for a week and the list just keeps growing. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'll save that for the Friday episode, which usually is my world of events episode. I want to talk about how the EU is planning kind of to get off American aid because they're expecting the fall. I can't talk about that today because American politics are insane. We have primaries going on yesterday, which is Tuesday in places like Wisconsin. Again, you have Trump versus Pence basically doing quasi wars, uh, picking different candidates. We had (laughs) the FBI raid Mar-a-Lago, which Trump called like the beautiful Mar-a-Lago We have Trump saying he wishes the generals were more like Nazi generals. We have Trump disparaging wounded veterans again. We have Doug Mastriano testifying with the January 6th committee and then walking out, or I guess it was digital, so leaving the chat room because he thought it was a fraud. I mean, (laughs) you just can't write this stuff anymore. It's like there is just so much going on. And so, yeah, I need like 48 hours in the day so I can actually get to all this. But today, because, again, I don't have endless time, we're going to talk about the GOP's reaction to the FBI raid in Mar-a-Lago. And then I want to talk about the primary results from yesterday's primaries in places like Wisconsin. But I first wanted to start by discussing something that's actually equally as troubling about Trump. And it's kind of about his awful understanding of history and why, again, if I'm telling you and you don't believe me, then you're never going to believe me, but why Trump does not have the character to be president. But again, we're at the point where I think that conversation has left us. But anyways, anyways, uh, basically poor Joe Biden, you know, had a pretty good week, what, last week? He's overshadowed by the FBI raid news. And also, a fairly disturbing report about Trump, about when he was actually president, was also overshadowed by all these other chaotic events going on. So there's an upcoming book from the journalists Susan Glasser and Peter Baker, good writers, and some little segments, excerpts, whatever you want to call them, were released by The New Yorker, and... There's some interesting revelations. Now, before I get into it, it's really hard to actually disseminate what is true and what is not from the Trump books or the information coming out because Trump is just like a black hole. Like the Trump administration was just a black hole where everything went in and you never saw it again. And information coming out was always different. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Event Horizon, but it's like the the Event Horizon was supposed to basically be like a portal to go through time. And instead, it opens up the gates of hell. And so the ship comes back after being lost for like a decade or something. And the ship comes back and it's the same ship, but it's not the same. Like it's kind of been twisted. Everyone's dead and there's a darkness to the ship. And it seems like American politics have kind of gone through that same portal of the event horizon where like the ship is still there. Like you can still look at it and go, that's the same ship. But something's just not right. Like Everything gets morphed when it comes back out. It doesn't feel the same. Anyways, I will stop ranting about that. But Tom Nichols has a good article that goes over these revelations from the book. And he basically discusses how Trump wanted to transform the military 
from kind of the last line of defense, if something were to really go bad, and an independent body to one that was loyal to him and him alone, obviously that's much more nefarious than an FBI raid over potentially National Archives information. But anyways, something we have seen throughout his years, whether it was looking for loyalty from his generals, the issues with the Secret Service, or the DOJ, or politicians, or why Lindsey Graham is all of a sudden his bottom, is all these, like Trump wants loyalty, and he seems to get it one way or another. So Nichols writes that Trump wanted to turn the military into his own prioritarian guard. And in an, in an excerpt from a forthcoming book, Susan Glasser and Peter Baker, like I said, discuss a very troubling exchange between Trump and uh, his then chief of staff, John Kelly, who, like I learned on Monday, actually lasted until 2019. So I'm going to read the little transcript they put out here because it's fun. Fun in a very bad way. So Trump says, you fucking generals, why can't you be like German generals? And then Kelly asks, which generals? Then Trump says, the generals in World War II. And then apparently Kelly kind of smirked, excuse me, and says, you do know they tried to kill Hitler three times and almost pulled it off. <laughs> so much to say here. So, I mean, I, I'm hoping there's more of this dialogue in the book, but that's all it was released that I've seen. But on a light note, Kelly's response is kind of perfect because clearly Trump knows nothing of history. He also hasn't watched Valkyrie, which is just an abomination. Great movie. But to him, he likes obedience and loyalty. So he just thinks of the loyalty that Hitler had. He doesn't realize that, you know, a lot of generals and a lot of the military establishment really did not like Hitler for a long time. So Nichols continues by writing here in quotes, Trump has a simplistic belief that the Nazis were effective, efficient, and loyal. Later on, he says, this is how Trump's administration ended up infested with people such as Michael Flynn, Anthony Tata, and Douglas McGregor. All retired military officers, political extremists, and crackpots. And the article just looks a little bit about how Trump was focused on bringing in mainly men who were loyal and could kind of serve the cause well. And so this conversation, it, it's not surprising, but it just shows that this guy doesn't understand the nuance of history. Like, Nazi Germany was not an efficient place, unless you're talking about killing. And also... The generals were not loyal, and also no one wants to emulate Nazi Germany. So <laughs> I like Kelly's response, but you also like, I guess I would say Kelly has been in the room with a lot of these things. You kind of would hope that he would say this stuff out loud to the public in like, I don't know, on like Fox News Sunday or on NBC Nightly News. Instead, he says this at like these elitist events and then someone writes him down and says pretty much, oh, I heard Kelly said this. It's like, come on, fucking, fucking hell, man. Like some of this stuff you're, 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 you're basically quoted as saying is atrocious and you should go on the record, do an interview and say all this stuff because to me, you're not really much of a hero if you just, if it's always like secondhand sources saying you heard this stuff. But also, the book, really briefly, I'll just mention this, is uh, back when Trump was planning the military parade, which is, again, another thing that uh, really <laughs> makes you feel good about our democracy. Um, 
Apparently Trump, when they were planning the parade, talked to John Kelly again, another reoccurring character in this fun saga. And apparently Trump was telling Kelly that they needed to make sure there were no wounded combat veterans present during the parade because he said it made them look weak and bad. And he, he remembered seeing Bastille Day and there were some injured people and, and people in wheelchairs and he hated it. And he wanted just young, strong, proud military, make us look strong, not weak. Again, just such a first graders view of strength and heroism but apparently kelly had a good response which does redeem him a little bit to me is he basically said trump or he's like like i'm butchering this but so so it's not it's, it's not verbatim but he says something like mr president there's like two types of true heroes the ones that are injured and still here and fought for their country and then there's those who are buried in arlington and we have to remember that john kelly's son was killed in combat and I don't know. That one shows to me how little Trump cares about the soldiers and our military and how it's so irritating that so many of his followers think he's this pro-military, wants to protect the troops guy. No, he hates injured people. It's all about image. And I would just honestly like to ask him what service means to him. Because, you know, I'm, I'm in, I, I was interviewing for one of the jobs I'm looking into, and they asked me what service means to me. And I think it would be nice to know that the president believes that service is important and it's not just some sort of vanity project because that seems to be what he's focused on. You know, that really seems to be what he's focused on. And whether it's wishing his generals were more like Nazi generals or not, lighting, not liking wounded veterans or whatever it may be, uh, this Frankenstein's monster that is the Trump MAGA movement there's no vaccine to get to, to stop that thing from just its rampage, and it's, it's not good. Um, briefly, I will just say on a completely different note, as I was recording this, I, I, I guess it happened yesterday, but I didn't see it. Serena Williams has retired. Uh, I'm, I'm a big tennis fan. I love watching tennis. Um, she has retired at 40. I actually didn't even know she was that old, I'll be completely honest, um, which is still young. Okay, look, it's young, but for, for a professional sports player, it makes sense, though it didn't really look like her game was letting up. She's still going, excuse me, she's still going to play in the U.S. Open, what, later in August? But that's going to be it. That is going to be it. And that literally blows my mind because I am just, I, I've always thought she's an impressive player. I've always thought that she just really raised the bar on women's tennis, and it was really cool to see. So props to her. I have enjoyed watching you. Thanks for a great time. And luckily, we still have my boy Djokovic. We have Nadal. At least we have some people left. And, of course, Djokovic can't play in the U.S. Open because of his stupidity to lie about being vaccinated or whatever. But anyways, that's a conversation for another time. But uh, thanks for your service, <laughs> Serena. You've, you've done a good job. Anyways, I guess one of the cons of not doing a podcast every day and just doing it Monday, Wednesday, Friday is that sometimes big things happen on the day that you're not recording. And I put out the episode Monday morning and Monday evening, I'm sitting on the couch doing some paperwork and David Pakman has a live show come on and it's Trump being raided by the FBI. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's not what I was expecting. Sorry, it's going to be an explicit episode warning. Uh, but... That happened this week. I, you know, I wanted to put out stuff on Tuesday, but it actually was kind of nice to have all of Tuesday to kind of 
see other people's reactions and kind of put together my thoughts and have time to kind of say, okay, like, how do I feel about this? What is happening? Yada, yada, yada. So the FBI executed a search warrant Monday evening at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort in Palm Beach, Florida. There's been a lot of takes already, a lot of legal experts speculating on why Mar-a-Lago was raided, whether it should have happened. Is this breaking of precedent involving a former president? Is it good, bad, necessary? Should the president be held to account? Lots of takes. So I will spare you all of this. And I mainly want to go into the reactions themselves from GOP lawmakers and GOP slash like right wing media and why it's really troubling, I guess I could say. And I'll also note that right now we do not have enough evidence to really make any claims about why they did it. And I think that's important is I think it's irresponsible, which I'll go into later. A lot of people are being irresponsible, but I think it's pointless to make all these claims about why and whether it was warranted when we don't know the facts. I What I do know is that the DOJ, like the executive branch and the judicial branch, were um, both involved in this, and they authorized the raid. And, you know, there was a judge who signed this warrant. So I guess there had to be something that justified it. But I'm not going to speculate anymore. Now, what we do know at this time is that the FBI's search included examining where documents were kept and multiple dozens, or not multiple dozens, God, Alex, dozens of items were taken, mainly boxes. Apparently, they even took stuff out of Trump's safe, or at least that's what he said on Truth Social. Uh, I'm, I'm on Truth Social, and I was, uh, <laughs> I was checking that out. He had quite a long statement. And uh, he was not thrilled. I think, I think the only thing that does seem somewhat clear is that I think I mentioned back in June that the National Archives wanted to get back documents that Trump had taken with him when he left office. Basically, he thought they were his because of executive privilege. But once the president leaves office, that is not the case. They did this after Richard Nixon refused to give Water, Watergate-related recordings to the DOJ, and so now the president cannot do that. And so I'm just assuming that this is related to that because as soon as he is no longer president, he cannot access those documents. Apparently he took those documents to Mar-a-Lago, and there's a raid happening. Uh, that's what it seems to be. Now, there's also the chance that maybe, again, I said I'm not speculating, and here I am speculating, so I apologize, but... There's also the chance that this raid was literally just the National Archives getting the FBI to seize these documents, or maybe Trump associates were involved. Maybe this has nothing to actually do with indicting Trump. That is definitely a possibility. But it's also possible that Trump violated the law, so we'll have to see. The one thing that I think is more true about this than anything is that the DOJ really has crossed the Rubicon. Merrick Garland clearly must have known this, and I would guess that all of these higher-ups were very aware. But this is a new precedent that could really polarize every, everything. I mean, this is the first time they've seized documents and raided the former president's uh, estate. I mean, that is insane, if you really think about it. And 
I think Trump should be held accountable. I'll just say that right now. I don't think the president's above the law. But this definitely is something that's controversial and unprecedented. And the DOJ has crossed the Rubicon because it's going to polarize and politicize everything. And it could polarize our legal system even further, even though I don't think that's why the DOJ did this. Anyways, Trump went on social media, Truth Social, to express his thoughts. And I don't want to read you the whole thing because it is a word salad. An entertaining word salad. I'd recommend a strong drink and to read through it. But at one point he said, my beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided, and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. Now, to be completely honest, from what I've seen, that was not what happened. And if you actually want to talk about under siege, raided, and occupied, January 6th, which he kind of instigated, seems more like that. But anyways, he was in New York during this siege, as he calls it, but he obviously knew about it. He's claimed everything that, you know, this was a witch hunt, political prosecution. He brought up Hillary Clinton. Generally, you could just say he's playing the victim card, which, again, he is very good at. But I should make a point here, and I've heard some people address this, is that if Trump wanted to, he could release the details from the warrant if he thought this was insane, and if he thought this was a witch hunt, and if he thought it was a political prosecution, he must have some documents involving this that he could just put out there and say, like, here are the details. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird, because he claims that this raid is not serious, and it's a political prosecution. If that is true, release the warrant, man. Release the warrant to the public to show everything. And of course, he hasn't done anything so far except for tweet about how it's a fraud. And I don't know, but the fact that he won't release the details tells me that it is something probably not great for him. And he would rather kind of bask in the uncertainty, enjoy the uncertainty because his base loves uncertainty. And I think the uncertainty and the grievance and the victimhood is better for him. I guess just if the warrant was a big nothing burger, Trump would have released it. He is just not the person to be quiet about something if he has something of importance. Now, what worries me about all of this is not only how GOP lawmakers have reacted, which I will get to in a moment, but also how the base itself may react. You know, I think something unique about Trump is that these people have really formed a close relationship to Trump. He has managed to convince his base that an attack on him that he deems political is also an attack on them. And he has famously discussed how he is the only thing standing between his supporters and the deep leftist state that loads all of them, calls them deplorable, which obviously Hillary didn't help when she called them a basket of deplorables. But anyways... Basically, this investigation and raid are not only a threat to Trump, but it's also a threat to his base because he's convinced them that this is the problem. And they already feel like the government and Democrats are all a threat. So, I mean, yeah, like going back to what I talked about on Monday is, oop, we got a loud vehicle. Um, anyways, all you have to do is watch the CPAC speakers to know exactly what I'm talking about. 
I'm worried that his base, like there's already rising willingness to do violence. I'm just worried that his base will take this as kind of a green light, especially because, again, like January 6th, like a lot of these other things, that if you think the other side is trying to harm you and wrong you, then you feel justified to do things that most people wouldn't. I think this really could be, I guess, I guess the straw that really could break the camel's back. You know, especially when Trump's base sees this as a threat to them because Trump's convinced them that's the case. And also you have GOP lawmakers comparing this to the Gustapo or the KGB or Cuba or Banana Republics. It just lacks so much nuance when they say that. It pisses me off more than anything. Anyways, getting into this, (laughs) the GOP reactions to this raid have been infuriating, insane, and expected, I guess. I think right now it is plainly irresponsible for anyone to claim 100% that this was a witch hunt or claim it was serious, was in serious, or was against the point. But everyone on Fox News practically has assumed with, with certainty that Trump is innocent He was attacked by the Justice Department and that this was all due to a corrupt Biden administration that now has political control over the Justice Department. Let's remember that, thank God, we don't have Schedule F, which Trump wants to put in, but actually, no. The the FBI, for example, still has a lot of people that Trump appointed. A lot of our federal judges are also people that Trump appointed, like... It's the same when Trump says Democrats stole the election, but then a lot of people that were saying we can't decertify this were also Trump-appointed judges. I mean, it's all insane, but again, let's not sound too uh, nuanced here because obviously nuance is dead. So anyways, yeah, Fox News and Newsmax and a lot of politicians have been careless and just assume that this is a hit job on Trump. And in reality, I highly doubt Biden knew this was happening. And I think it was the podcast Breaking Points that brought this up. They're like, if Biden did know this was happening, he probably would not want it to happen right now because he's just come off a great week. And the last thing you want is a giant distraction away from your political success going into the midterms. So I highly doubt that Biden was like, yes, let's do this. Also, Biden was probably not involved in this whatsoever. This is the Justice Department. I'm sure Merrick Garland knew about this and approved it. But the fact that he approved this when he's been so hesitant is, is telling. But, of course, um, Jesse Waters and, uh, you know, other Fox News and Newsmax people, Dinesh D'Souza, all the the brightest and best of our society have, you know, claimed that this was a political hit job. But I guess I expect Dinesh D'Souza to say abolish the FBI, (laughs) which is ironic. But it's... It's when the GOP politicians themselves start actually speaking out is when I get worried. And this seemed to me like a very easy moment for them to step away from Trump or at least be silent in a strategic manner to basically be like, obviously, we're on Trump's side, but right now is not a good time to speak up. And that's not what happened. Not what happened at all. Instead, a lot of lawmakers and Trump allies and even not so much Trump allies started attacking the FBI and assumed that Trump was innocent and that it was a political hit job. I think the problem of this is that they're finally showing that they think Trump is above the law. They are willing to defend him, and they seem to think that he should not be held accountable for anything. They've really internalized that. 
The Atlantic has a good article from David Frum, and he writes here in quotes, The former president has discovered a new test of power, using his own misconduct to compel party leaders to rally to him. One by one, they have executed the ritual of submission. Kevin McCarthy, then Marco Rubio, even the would-be Trump replacer, Ron DeSantis. Maybe they're inwardly hoping the FBI will do for them what they are too weak and frightened to do for themselves. But outwardly, they're all indignation and threats of retribution. From later continues, he writes in quotes, Republicans are one by one lining up to investigate and punish the Department of Justice for enforcing the law against Donald Trump. Usually, August of an election year is when a party shifts its message from red meat for the true believers to softer themes for the general electorate. Trump is trying to stop that pivot, and after the FBI's visit, he may succeed. I think it's sadly true. And going into this a little more is I was clearly wrong about DeSantis. I will say that the reaction from the media on the right and right-wing politicians has shown me that Trump controls everything. And DeSantis is a good, like, secondhand choice, but he's not Trump. There's a great song by Stephen Stills, Love the One You're With. You know, it talks about if you can't be with the, love, with the one you love, love the one you're with. And I feel like <laughs> Ron DeSantis is settling, which that song is mainly about. Um, but Trump is still out there. So, sorry, I'm putting all these r- random pop culture references in there. That's where I'm at today. So, But I think the most telling example of this grip is how Kevin McCarthy reacted. He basically said that the DOJ and Merrick Garland better free up their schedules because if the Republicans win back the House in the midterms, they will investigate the shit out of the DOJ. And it's, it's, it's somewhat troubling, but expected. He also talked about looking at oversight and accountability. <laughs> Funny enough, him and others have basically expressed the idea of defunding law enforcement, right? That's what I think about when they're like, yeah, we need to maybe look at cutting the funds for the DOJ and the FBI. We need to provide more oversight, more accountability. Isn't that defunding the police? Then you have Dinesh D'Souza, who's obviously influential on the right, saying we should just abolish the FBI. Weren't you guys the ones who were saying the Democrats were stupid to want police reform? It's much like the party of law and order also at times has basically said, We believe in due process now that Trump allies are in court or prison due to January 6th. It's just, the double standards are exhausting. So, we really live in a post-irony world. I wish this was funny, but it's just like glaringly reality, I guess. Anyways, I found McCarthy's statements about investigations into the DOJ to be troubling, like laughter aside, because McCarthy is basically threatening Merrick Garland and the Justice Department because they are doing what they should and investigating Trump. It's bad because it shows to me that protecting Trump for the GOP is likely to be more important than the rule of law. This is that Flight 93 moment again, is that like they believe the Democrats now to be such a threat to the United States that they're willing to like kind of throw out the rule of law 
in order to back this up. And that is something that I, I think everyone should be like worried about to, to a certain extent is that they are fine with defending Trump and protecting him because he's better for them. My main takeaway from this is that the populism of America first and all that that's led to has completely corrupted and morphed the GOP, which was the party of law and order. And now it's ironic because the Republican Party is actually going after the institutions that are linked with law and order, like the FBI. It's it's just wild. But, you know, I was listening to the Bulwark today and they brought up a good point about how this didn't happen overnight. Like, when Trump first came in 2016, if he tried to do the things he was doing now, people would have stood up to him. But it's like he created a permission structure that slowly evolved over a long period of time. And I think that's what we're seeing now is how this permission structure over four years of his presidency led to just like this monster and this evolution of a monster that is really hard to tame. And that seems to be where we are at now, is that the control over this is completely beyond repair. And... You know, you had Marco Rubio, who at one time was made fun of his privates being too small by Trump, who's now just become such a sycophant. And it, again, if we lived in a nuanced society, I think it would be an important moment to step back and say, like, why does the Trump base loathe the establishment, loathe the cities, loathe the elites so much? That is something that I really truly want answers to but we we can't right now and you know okay diatribe aside from also notes that if all of these politicians are still going to defend trump after everything even when he's no longer president like they might as well give him the nomination at this point because it's clear no one else can get it in this climate, right? Like Ron DeSantis claims to be the like heir, but now he's backtracking and defending Trump. And we saw what the media has done. Like, it just makes no sense that there's anyone else. Like these guys do not have, um, strength. Like they, they talk about masculinity all the time. Like Josh Hawley's new book is about like lost male masculinity. I don't have the title in front of me. I won't read it. I don't care, but you know, these guys are all focused on masculinity, but like, if you want to talk about masculinity, standing up to absurdity and being a man to me is part of it. That goes back to the service thing we were talking about earlier. I think it is also true though, and understandable why this climate has gotten so crazy. But I just feel like this was a unique decision by the DOJ. This raid is going to dominate the political rhetoric and right-wing grievances going into the midterms. This is the reason I think it is the crossing of the Rubicon. And the, the main, or I guess we could say the first reason I think that is because for the DOJ... This is a reason is because they cannot go back now. Like they have decided to actually investigate and do a raid on a former president. It's also huge because 
if the DOJ messes up, it could backfire. Like, that's the thing is, like, they are really banking on something here, and that's why I hope they have a lot of evidence because we have to hope that the DOJ is not going after Trump under technicalities or for something fairly pointless or for something that could have been just dealt with over the phone because what it seems like is that they have now opened the door for prosecuting presidents. And, look, I think Trump is an asshole who should rot in prison, but I've also been one of the ones who said, is it smart to prosecute a former president? I don't know. I don't know. Because you have to think that if Trump or someone like him gets back into office, they're going to want to do the same thing. Of course, intentions are going to be different, but the idea is going to be the same. Let's prosecute our political enemies and make a point about this. And that is truly what worries me. That is truly what worries me here. And I don't have a great answer. I really don't. But I just feel like this is going to get complicated. Part of this is that we could literally see, like, like nothing would surprise me anymore, is that we could see, like, Donald Trump running for office or announcing his presidency while in jail. Nothing would surprise me anymore. And one last thing I will say, sorry, and then we will move on to the primaries real quick, but I hate, I really do hate hearing people say that, <clears throat> you know, this is Banana Republic stuff, it's never happened in the U.S. before, it's setting a bad precedent. You know, yeah, it hasn't happened in the U.S. before, but we also haven't had a president like Donald Trump. And whatever's happened there, whether it's him directly, one of his associates, whether he's basically doing something with classified materials, he's, he's a unique fella. We can just tell by everything he's done, right? And so just because he's president, I really don't think means that we just never can do anything. And... Basically, other countries like France, Israel, South Korea, just to name a few, have prosecuted former presidents and prime ministers. Israel did it. I remember France did it with, like, just fairly recently. And so it's not that insane, okay? Places do this. Democracies do hold their own accountable. And just because you're president, I don't think means you're completely above the law. I understand some of the precedent for not prosecuting a former president. But again, this is much different when there's looking like there's so many different things going on right now that, that, I don't know, there has to be some accountability. Anyways, moving on, before we're out of here, I just wanted to briefly go over some of the more notable midterm results from yesterday. We saw some primaries in Minnesota, Vermont, Wisconsin. I'm going to focus on just Minnesota and Wisconsin mainly. But starting in Wisconsin, I've been following some of the people in Wisconsin, especially the gubernatorial candidates, as well as the Senate race, because the Senate race could be really important for the balance in the Senate going into the midterms. And Wisconsin's unique. It's a state with um, some pretty sane candidates. It's usually had a pretty strong Republican establishment. But um, also, there's been some definite MAGA election denier lunatics. Uh, Ron Johnson is always someone I think of. But starting with the gubernatorial primary, it was another proxy war between Trump and Pence. When I say gubernatorial primary, I mean the Republican side. And un unfortunately, the former president, again, did demonstrate his influence over the GOP. His candidate is a guy named Tim Michaels who owns a construction company 
and it's kind of played on the, you know, working class, like, anti-elitist, though he actually comes from a pretty powerful business family. But anyways, he defeated the former lieutenant governor, Rebecca Clyfish, in, oh, I guess it was yesterday. And I've heard a few recordings of Michael's, and I'm not a fan, personally, and this is actually a pretty big defeat for Lieutenant Governor Clyfish because CNN writes that Michaels's win is the end of an era in Wisconsin. Clayfish was backed by former Governor uh, Scott Walker, who built the political machine that won three governor's races, including a recall election. Also, Michaels is another candidate who is willing to play with election denialism. Big shocker, I know. And... In a debate recently, Michaels left the door open to an attempt to decertify Biden's 2020 win in Wisconsin, saying that everything is on the table. Now, we're getting closer and closer to 2023. I love how they're still focused on 2020. You know, as the economy is struggling, there's always talks of a recession. Inflation's still high. It's going down, but it's still up there. There's, you know, just crises after crises. It's, it's funny that that's the Republicans, is we're going to defend Trump above the law, and we're going to keep focusing on an election that, almost, that is almost three years old. You know, it's, it, it's, a little, it's a little laughable, but people like it. So I'll also add that Clyfish is not exactly, like, awesome either. I saw that she, she said that there was um, nefarious activity in the election, though she was not willing to overturn the 2020 results. So she's basically like, yeah, the election was probably stolen, but I'm not going to go back and try to, like, decertify it. So she's like crazy light. She's like a, yeah, kind of like a Diet Coke, which, yeah. Anyway, staying in Wisconsin for a second. This was not a race that occurred yesterday, but the Senate race in November also is going to be pretty interesting. And it could be one of the most intense for the midterm cycle. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a race between Senator Ron Johnson as some people have called him, Ronanon, and Democratic Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. I will just add that, like, off the bat, I don't really like either one. I think Mandela Barnes is a bit too progressive for the state. He's toyed with the defund movement and more. But Ron Johnson has been, <laughs> he's been probably worse, I guess. He's toyed with all the QAnon shit. He's gone anti-vax. He's called January. He's the one who called January 6th kind of a tourist visit, you know, but like in closed door interviews or he's been recorded when no when he doesn't know he's being recorded saying the election was not stolen and Trump's crazy. But then, you know, he'll lie to people's faces. Not a fan of the guy. He also said he wouldn't run for three terms. Uh, he is. So, yeah. But. Apparently, this race has gotten pretty ugly already. Both Barnes and uh, Ron Johnson have been calling the other out of touch, saying that they don't understand the working class of Wisconsin, just kind of going after each other in about every way possible. Ron Johnson, at least in my opinion, has probably been more effective at this. He's made Barnes sound like a radical, which I don't think Barnes is a radical, but it's easy to say he is just based on some of the things he's said in the past. And CNN writes, Johnson has already described Barnes as Democrats' most radical left candidate, adding that a radical left senator from Wisconsin is not the solution. Johnson recently called him a progressive puppet out to fundamentally change America. And I, like I said, I think it's an exaggeration, but stuff like this worse, works. And it's an important race <clears throat> considering how close the Senate is right now. 
And I don't know, maybe they should have found a more moderate Democrat to go against Ron Johnson because Johnson has a lot of baggage and a lot of Republicans in, uh, I've, I've listened to focus groups by Sarah Longwell, who's a Republican strategist and pollster, and there's a lot of Republicans in Wisconsin that are kind of tired of Ron Johnson and don't like his connections with January 6th and Trumpism and all this stuff. People are kind of getting tired of him. So if they had a little more maybe normal candidate on the left, it could be better. But we'll have to see. It's still early. Johnson has a lot of baggage. One could only hope. And lastly, I'll make this brief, but there were also some primaries in Minnesota. And the one that stands out to me is Elon Omar, Democratic representative, member of the squad, one of my least favorite congresswomen, uh, barely survived a primary challenge. And the narrow result uh, maybe could encourage critics of the squad to try again in two years to take her out because she's barely survived a few of these. And the guy she barely beat was Don Samuels, who had kind of run as a, a pro-police critic of Omar's calls to defund the police. Samuels and his wife successfully sued the city of Minneapolis to force it to increase police staffing levels due to the 741 officers required by the city's charter. And he almost beat her. Obviously, this is like a civil war inside of the Democratic Party right now. I would like to see her lose. Like, I'm sure she's a fine person, but I just don't agree with her politics. I think she's too radical. And right now we need sensibility, not radical leftism, much like we don't need far right candidates either. And I just think she's into hot takes more than actual policies, and I was happy to see potentially her go. Obviously, she'll still be there. Anyways, that'll... <clears throat> excuse me. Choking up here. Um, anyways, that'll do it for today. I hope everyone has a great rest of your evening, rest of your... What's uh, not Tuesday. Today's Wednesday. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll be back Friday, and you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, all that jazz. And by the way, I will be, I'm starting a uh, Patreon and I'm going to start putting out two weekly bonus episodes. Um, they're going to be more, maybe on some culture war controversies, maybe on some deep dives, some countdowns, some evergreen topics that are maybe a little too uh, controversial to put out on this one. And so there's a there's a tier, $5 a month. Uh, I always appreciate the, the donation. And uh, with the $5 a month, you'll get access to these bonus episodes, which will be a little more fun, a little more spicy and not just focused on weekly news stories. So yeah, you can find it on patreon.com slash centered from reality. Take care.